Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Romans. If you have a Bible handy, I would love it if you turned to the book of Romans, to the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. We're going to be starting in the 14th verse of the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. And then we'll get to learn lots of wonderful things from God's word. Let's go ahead and just get right into it. From verse 14 of Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now before we turn back to the 14th verse, and as is our habit, reading it verse by verse, speaking about the topic St. Paul is bringing up, I do want to have a word of caution for my fellow Lutherans. We see Romans chapter 10 verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And immediately we get very, very, very happy because we understand that the word of God is a means of grace. It is one of the ways in which God converts the soul, in which God brings us from the bondage of the will to the devil to bondage to his ways. It is one of the ways our eyes are opened to the gospel. Yes, this verse is a beautiful proof text for how we see the means of grace. But we do not want to make the same mistake as, say, John Calvin. I mean, we had an installment of this series basically entitled Romans chapter 9 does not support Calvinism because our Calvinist friends and their interpreters unfortunately look at Romans chapter 9 as being so chock full of proof texts and everything when the moment you miss that context of St. Paul talking about how Israel was never by blood, it was always by faith, that Israel is the church, the church is Israel. All Christians truly are God's chosen people. If you ignore that context, well, your proof texts look really, really shiny, but the moment somebody brings that context back in and understands the chapter according to that context, well, then your proof texts disappear in a puff of smoke. So here in Romans chapter 10, we do have to pay attention to the special context of what St. Paul is bringing up. So in last week's installment, we had sola fide in stereo. St. Paul is bringing up the righteousness based on faith, but why? He's explaining how these Gentiles 
got into the church, how they are admitted into God's chosen people when they haven't been observing the law. They're not circumcised. They don't have this rich history. They didn't spend all of their lives going to Jerusalem for the Passover. He is explaining how because of sola fide, because of this, the Gentiles found righteousness while Jewish groups and sects did not. They did not find righteousness through their observance of the law. And St. Paul, in speaking of this, says, listen, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Nobody is special in this. You're not a first or second class citizen in the kingdom of God based on your heritage or the fact that you didn't eat pork for most of your life. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So going off of this then, in verse 14, St. Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. We have a long, long background here in the book of Romans where St. Paul is answering rhetorical questions. He's in beforeing objections that are brought up. Potentially, somebody wrote him a letter from the Roman congregation with a lot of these questions. People had so many questions about this. You know, it's very important stuff. So he brings up this question, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In other words, hey, you're saying that the Gentiles were admitted into God's chosen people, his church, his ecclesia, his Israel, by faith, by calling on the name of the Lord, relying on Jesus with saving faith. That is what declares them righteous without that background. But wait a second. What about all these other Hebrews out there who don't know about Jesus, who have never heard of him? How are they supposed to believe? And what happens to them? Are we going to espouse a dual covenantalism here? Are we going to say that they'll be okay? Some people in, in here are going to see the creation of faith through the preaching of God's word. And that is there. St. Paul does say, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How are they to preach unless they are sent? You need somebody sent out there to preach the word. This is necessary. But I'm going to add in here that this rebuffs two very, very, very heterodox, if not heretical notions that are currently espoused by some theologians. One is inclusivism. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? The question of whether there are righteous unbelievers who are saved has been a, uh, well, one of those unanswered questions, so to speak, in church history. We've never really touched on this. Is the kingdom of God exclusive, meaning only people who believe in Jesus and who know about Jesus are saved? Or is it inclusive, meaning 
at some point, maybe there's some anonymous Christians who really, really, really want to be saved and they're very, very earnest in their religions. So they, they find some way to believe in the true God, even though they don't know the name of Jesus. That is inclusivism. And I'm here to tell you it's 100% wrong. It seems like there were objectors. People raising this objection in the Roman congregation were like, well, listen, I have relatives in Capernaum that never heard of Jesus. I have relatives out there in the Babylonian diaspora of Jews that have never heard of Jesus. Shouldn't they have an out? Shouldn't they be counted righteous by their works? Shouldn't they have some sort of law? I mean, they've never even heard of this guy, let alone the gospel. Uh, how are they supposed to call on Jesus? They haven't believed in him because they've never heard of him. And how are they supposed to hear without somebody preaching him? St. Paul's response to all this is, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Of course, absolutely, we need preachers to go out and bring the message of Jesus to these people. Not to say that there's an out. Not to say that, oh, these people over here are justified by their works. Inclusivism is entirely unbiblical. St. Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, very, very clearly, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You are not saved if you do not believe in Jesus. And I know somebody might go, well, you Lutherans believe in infant baptism. How is an infant going to trust in the name of Jesus? Well, okay, first and foremost, how do we baptize infants? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's how all baptisms are supposed to be done. That's how Jesus told us to do it. Meaning, this little baby hears the name Jesus Christ upon his baptism. And I guarantee you, because baptism can create faith in people, especially little itty-bitty babies, they're going to hear the name of Jesus. The water comprehended in the word of God is going to do exactly what God says it does. And that little baby can and will believe in Jesus with true saving faith. So, that's not an issue for me. But at the end of the day, nobody is saved without Jesus. Nobody is going to be saved without knowing Christ. Now, people believe in inclusivism, usually due to emotional objections. Just like it seems here. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Come on, St. Paul. How am I supposed to believe that we're justified and saved by faith in Jesus when I have so many family members that don't know him? How are we supposed to say that all these Jews have been taken out of Israel and all these Gentiles put in Israel if they haven't even heard of him? That's not fair. That's not fair, St. Paul. <laughs> There's a sense, if you read this text, where it's like, hey, wait a second, what about these guys over here? And the same thing happens with the inclusivists today. They want to say, well, what about children who aren't baptized who die at like three years old? What about SIDS victims? What about all of them? And well, we commend them to our merciful God. 
We don't know what happens to a child who's never been able to act upon the sinful impulses of original sin. They can't do anything according to their concupiscence, so are they truly blameworthy for everything they've done? The Bible doesn't give us an answer. But the Bible does tell us Jesus loves the little children. Let the little children come to me. So I commend them to a merciful God. But if I want to know 100% that my baby that died of SIDS or something is in heaven, I look to that child that I baptized. I look to that one and I have the promises of God, which are great treasures for our hearts. So inclusivism operates on that idea. On the, hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? We're going to deconstruct your doctrine with a bajillion different uh, questions and excuses and objections and whatabouts and what ifs until eventually you just give in and don't hold to what St. Peter said. That's what the inclusivists want to do. They are wrong. You need a preacher. You need this to happen. So we continue in verse 16. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So the preaching is necessary, right? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our proof text works here even in context for the passage. If we are careful to understand that, if somebody brings up the objection of, well, what is St. Paul talking about here in chapter 10? We can say, yes, he includes the means of grace aspect of the word of God as a part of his overall argument in answering this uh, what about, this what if coming from opponents. But he does say here in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. Now, for the word obey, for obeyed the gospel there, the implication of the Greek text is that it is attentive listening. The gospel, obeying the gospel is not fulfill a set of rules. You are asked to obey the gospel in terms of accepting an invitation, hearing, right? This is why St. Paul will say faith comes from hearing. It is listening attentively to that gospel that brings us to the understanding and faith that we need to really understand Jesus is our Savior. The word translated from hupikosan, which is obeying, and akoes, which is hearing. Faith comes from hearing. These are words that share the same root, the same idea here. So, we might retranslate verse 16, but they have not all listened to and accepted the invitation of the gospel. They have not really heard the gospel. For Isaiah says, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We look at that and we say, okay, yes, there are Hebrews who did hear the gospel, and they rejected it. They weren't willing to listen. Maybe they had some excuse. Maybe they were holding just a little bit too tightly to their identity as Jews, as temple observant Jews. Maybe they just didn't want to hear it. Maybe they were too busy in their own minds to listen to the message of salvation, but they weren't listening. We need preachers. 
St. Paul is explaining that, listen, there are those who haven't heard. They need preachers. But there are also those who have heard but rejected the message. So we already rejected inclusivism. It denies the words of St. Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And it also denies the words of Jesus in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But now we also have to deny dual covenantalism. And this is not an old heresy, it seems. It's a newer one coming from the 1800s-ish with the Schofield Reference Bible and Darbyism. All the dispensationalists out there who want to say Jews can be saved by observance of the law. That this is a means of spiritual economy from God for his quote-unquote chosen people. That means they can be justified by their works. St. Paul says no. Because if you haven't heard of Jesus, guess what? Your works are not going to save you. There is no excuse. And if you reject Jesus, if you reject the gospel, guess what? That does not save you either. You cannot be saved by rejecting Jesus and sticking with the law. That isn't going to work. So again, we return to those words here. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Inclusivism says, don't preach the good news to the foreigner, to he who has not heard of Jesus Christ. Because after all, he might be saved by his faith in whatever. <laughs> and if you bring the gospel to him with the stakes of believe this or be damned, then if he rejects it, he has a worse chance of going to heaven than if he had never heard at all. Inclusivism mars and mutates and destroys the Great Commission. But dual covenantalism, the idea that Jews can be saved by their Torah observance or their Talmud or whatever, that doesn't work either. Because now you are saying that rejecting Jesus is perfectly fine. And no, those feet of those who preach the good news, those aren't beautiful. They're just feet. After all, a Jew could say, I don't need Jesus. I have the law. Dual covenantalism does not work. And this question of whether or not somebody can call on God in whom he has not believed, if they are to believe in God accurately when they've never heard of him, well, dual covenantalism and inclusivism, they want to worm their way in through these verses using the objections that St. Paul is answering here. St. Paul's answer is, Look at the preachers. Go to the preachers. Get people evangelizing. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But then there's a third issue that we have to address here. He says in verse 16, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. And he says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And then in verse 18 he says, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself 
to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This tells us two things. Grace is resistible. That's here in this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Somebody can listen to Jesus. Somebody can hear the gospel and understand that it is true and still decide they want nothing to do with it. They can still say, wow, this has been revealed to me, but I am a man of the law. I am a man of my heritage. I will not accept this gospel. And we can give reasons and justifications for that. Now, that's not going to be good reasons. After all, your eternal life is at stake here. When the gospel is presented to you and God opens up the eyes of your soul to the truth of the gospel, don't resist that. You shouldn't. Please don't. But people will give their excuses. So he says, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Jealousy, anger, Gentiles in the church. Heaven forbid, Jesus should have only died for us. Why would you accept Gentiles into this? Can you believe what they've been doing? These Romans here who have been oppressing our people, the Greeks out there who sacrificed a pig to Zeus on our altar and our holy temple, you're going to tell me that these people, these shoddy excuses for human beings, these fools who worshipped pictures and idols and statues and followed their false religions are suddenly now just going to be able to be saved because they believe in this Jesus guy. Listen, I know what you're saying is true. I can't deny it. Yeah, sure, Jesus rose from the dead. All these prophecies in the Old Testament, yeah, they apply to him. But how dare you tell me that these Gentiles, these wicked dogs are allowed in the church? No, thank you. I'm going to stick with the law. Jealousy and anger. St. Paul is giving us a reason why his fellow Hebrews would resist the gospel and refuse to hear it, even if they know better. Yes, grace is resistible, but that does not mean it is from just some vague wickedness that somebody would reject the grace offered to them, the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gospel is a scandal for a whole lot of people. My goodness, for a lot of people first hearing this, it must have sounded like an inversion. If you put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jew, in Jerusalem, and you hear somebody preaching that Jesus Christ has died for sinners, you're hearing this and you're going, yeah, 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 that sounds great. And then the preacher says, Jesus Christ died for all sinners. And then you're going, wait, wait a moment. And then you hear them say, yes, and this means even the Gentiles can be our brothers and sisters in the faith because Christ has abolished the dividing wall. Maybe the reading out of Ephesians in one of these first century churches. And then you go, hold on, hold on. 500 years ago, my people went into exile for worshiping idols. My people were under God's hostility and punishment for following all these idols and wicked religions. 
and you're telling me that the fruit of these Gentiles living in this sinful way is them being admitted into the kingdom of God? Are they, are they going to go into exile? Are they going to suffer what we've suffered? Are they going to be punished for their idolatry the way we were punished? And the answer is no. The preacher in this first century church would go, no, it's mercy given to us. God is having mercy on all these people. After all, Moses says it's with a foolish nation and that they didn't know any better. Come on, let's all accept and rejoice that God has been so merciful. And the response might still just be, no, that's not fair. They should go through what my people went through. They are the oppressors. We are the oppressed right now. I'm not admitting them into salvation. There might be any number of motivations. Obviously, I'm speculating a little bit as to the contents of jealousy and anger here in verse 19 that St. Paul is referring to from the prophet Moses. And that's uh, Deuteronomy 32 verse 21 that he's quoting from. If you read all of Deuteronomy 32, it gives you more or less a gigantic broad history of the future of the Hebrew people from Moses' standpoint, his point in time moving forward, how things were going to go in Moses' uh, swan song of Deuteronomy. So we have here a rejection of inclusivism and a rejection of dual covenantalism. St. Paul is saying, send preachers. Send preachers that keep going. And yes, this message has not been accepted by all the people that hear it. They're angry. They're jealous. This is by design. God is admitting the Gentiles into the church through this. But there is no other name. We must have preachers to bring people to faith through the means of grace known as the word concerning Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But even those who do not believe, a lot of the times they've already heard. And even those who haven't heard, by the way, we do understand from the first three chapters of Romans that the law bears witness that you need a savior. They should have been hungry for this. They should have been willing and able to accept this, but it is their anger and jealousy that is keeping them from believing. And this is where he's going to launch into kind of a what now statement in chapter 11 that we will get to next week. So my apologies that this is a little short, but next week it's going to take me a long while to get through chapter 11 here, getting into the what now and how do we Gentiles, Gentiles like myself, stand in the midst of this? What kind of attitude should we take? But that said, I would love to hear your thoughts if anybody has any questions on what's a little bit more of a confusing passage than others here in Romans. Please feel free to shoot me an email at very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. But until then, our Lord be with you. Amen and amen.